Well, amen. It is so amazing to come to a place and to be gathered with people to remind ourselves of how we are forgiven in Jesus. It's just an amazing thing that we can be gathered together, some you know, sitting here in this room, some watching uh, from their sofas at home or on business trips, and we can be celebrating that even after we've failed, we can be reminded that we've been forgiven. In the book of Numbers, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been seeing this whole idea that, that we've been going through the wilderness of testing, right? And they have failed the test and failed the test and failed the test. And like all of a sudden in the middle of all these narratives, this chapter is going to stop and say, hey, let's go back to how important it is to have a place, a tabernacle, where we can be forgiven and be reminded of how to reconnect with God, that heaven and earth overlap in one space that God made for us. It's in this place we're reminded that we're loved and we're forgiven. It's pretty amazing as you go on that journey. You know, we've been in the wilderness of Sinai. We've been in the wilderness of Paran. We're about to go into the wilderness of Moab. In fact, I know many of you enjoy the one-man dramas that we do about once a year. So I've got another one coming up the week after Easter. We're going to be in Moab, and we're going to get to see uh, life through the eyes of Balaam on the 24th. And it is a pretty wild ride as we transition from one wilderness to the other. But today, this chapter is so interesting where it's placed because God has had this strategy of how to create a people and a place to tell the world about his forgiveness, tell the world about hope and healing that comes through his presence. And in doing so, how much sense would it make for God to create a strategy for changing the world and not actually have a, a strategy for funding it? Right? I mean, we've all had business people or we've been business people who've had big dreams, but until that dream has kind of a motivation, how are you going to fund this thing, then sometimes it never gets off the ground. And God amazingly has a way to change the world and a way to express or fund it to hearts filled with cheerful and willing and thankful hearts. In fact, if you've never seen the tabernacle before, we, we've referenced it a few times in this series, but here's kind of a life-size version I got a chance to visit. There was this giant offering or altar out front, and the priests would come, and in this particular place, they would take your offerings, and specifically, today we're going to talk about what's called the heave offering. So anyone ever heard of the heave offering before? I never had until I studied it six to nine months ago. The heave offering, the priest would take your grain or take your meat, from your animal, and they would literally lift it up to God as high as they go, almost your, your tiptoes kind of thing. God, heave it up into the air. God, you are so good. I am so thankful. With all my strength, I just reflect on what you've done. Now, it's a Hebrew word, so it doesn't translate directly into English, but in English, we think, you know, give it the old heave ho. Maybe you're rowing, heave ho, heave ho. Or maybe you're, you got a big sack of something heavy, and you're like, heave ho. The idea here is you're giving all your effort, all your strength, saying, God, thank you. This is the best I have to thank you that you've given the best you have to me. The heave offering. And this chapter encourages us to give God the old heave-ho offering. That we want to give him the old heave-ho offering, seeing that he gave his best. Our hearts are overwhelmed to give him our best. Now, to understand where we pick up in numbers about this, I want to take you back to Exodus. Because Exodus alludes to this, or begins the early descriptions of this, that numbers builds on. So in Exodus, we learned that a heave offering is, number one, a cheerful offering. 
It's not some begrudgingly arm twisting, you better do this, you ought to do this, you got to do this, you're not going to get to heaven if you do this. None of that nonsense. Cheerful, man, God has been faithful. Wow, he's been good. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring an offering. But the Hebrew word here is the is a heave offering. It's called the terumah, terumah. In the middle of that word terumah is the word rum. That Hebrew word rum, right in the center there, means to be lifted up or exalted, which is why the priest would lift up, heave, ho! Man, God, we're so thankful. We're so filled with cheer. We're so filled with forgiveness. We're so filled with joy. We're so overwhelmed by your grace. Heave, ho! For what you've done. So first, it's a cheerful offering. Second thing, it is a willing offering that comes from your heart. For everyone who gives it willingly. No arm twisting, no building campaign, no thermometers. You are just reflecting on what God's done, and you just willingly say, man, thank you, God. And you give it from your heart. And you shall take that offering. And look at how many different types of heave offerings there are in the next part of the passage. We're in Exodus still. Now, this is the offering you shall take from them. It could be gold or silver or bronze, blue or purple or scarlet thread, fine linen or goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and sweet incense, onyx stones. Stones to set the ephods. Remember, all of the priests had these onyx stones with the different colored tribes. So all of these pieces, parts that people are giving, heaving to God, become the very instruments used in the tabernacle for the priest, for the curtains, for all the different parts as they build it. And look at why. Verse 8, that, and let them make me a sanctuary, a sacred place. This particular heave offering was used to design a place to facilitate people finding God's word and God's forgiveness. That, God says, I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, this is the pattern of the tabernacle that we've talked about, and the pattern of all its furnishings, so you shall make it. So unlike your regular tithes, regular offerings, the heave offering was specifically something given to create a place to facilitate people getting to know God. The third thing we learned from Exodus is that it's almost like a currency exchange. You're taking your temporal goods, your salary, your inheritance, and you're transferring it into eternal goods to make an eternal difference. Now look how he alludes at this. He says, now the children of Israel had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and gold and clothing, and the Lord had given. Now look at this phrase. It shows up all over the time in Numbers today. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they were granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And we learned a little bit about this from when we were in the book of Numbers. So God defeats the Egyptian gods, right? All the crocodile gods and, and, and iris and all the different pieces parts. And if that hadn't been enough, right? He provides a tabernacle. If that hadn't been enough, he gives them the Bible. If that had been enough, he takes them to the Red Sea. But if that hadn't been enough, on their way out the door from Exodus, the Egyptians are like, man, your God destroyed our gods. You serve the real God. Why don't you take a little gold with you? Why don't you have a little silver with you? So besides forgiveness and besides a way and besides freedom, God allowed the Egyptians to give them an inheritance. 
So they've got this extra amount of money. It's the seeds that will eventually plant in the promised land. It's the, the money that's going to fund all the things that are going to do in the new land. This is this giant inheritance given by God from the Egyptians that becomes what they give from for the heave offering. But I said it was a currency exchange. Right? So God's given them all of this wealth, this inheritance. And then the next part of the verse, now we're in numbers. It says, so these heave offerings are holy things. It's no longer just a thread. It's no longer just silver. It's no longer just gold. It's no longer just sweet aroma. That which was temporal has become holy. Unholy has become holy. The temporal has become eternal. And the children of Israel, when they offer those to the Lord, I have given to you, talking to the priests, and to your sons and daughters, with you as an ordinance forever. It's a covenant of salt forever. Now the phrase a covenant of salt is only using twice in the whole Bible. Once here and once in talking about David. It's alluded to once in Leviticus. So I won't explain it all today because it would take about an hour to explain it, but it's the idea of permanence. You're living in a time with no refrigeration. So when you've got a slab of meat, it's going to rot. It's temporal, unless you put salt into it. Salt takes things that are temporal and makes them last longer. And so God says, I want you to take that which I've given to you, your salary, your inheritance, I want you to lift it up to me, and like a salt offering, I'm going to do something permanent with it. People's permanent eternal destinies will be changed. People's permanent understanding of who I am and my word will be changed. In fact, interesting, the Romans, hundreds of years later, would often get their salary not as money or silver or gold or coins, but as salt. Salt was so valuable that you would be paid in salt, in fact, the word Latin for salt is uh, salarum, which is then where the French picked that up and translates salarum into the word we get for uh, salaire, which is where we get the word salary. It actually has its roots in salt. Have you ever thought about your salary as salt that God wants to use to transfer from something temporal to something eternal? That's the idea here, and he kind of develops that in a little bit. Now, to me, this is very exciting. Because if you look at how faithful God's been to us as a church, it's exactly what's happened. And let's jump back 15 years ago. We're at CCD. We're looking for property. I sat down with maybe 200 people individually and as a couple. With not some big arm-twisting campaign, but with a Bible study, we think God might be calling us to take our heave offerings. I didn't know the term then. And to say, God, we want to create a place that people can connect with you. And hundreds of people began to think about two-year pledges and four-year pledges, and they created a place that you're sitting in right now, that our children are learning in right now, that our students are experiencing right now, because somebody took a temporal thing and invested in something that changes eternal destinies. And one of my favorite conversations with a good friend of mine, and he and his wife were spiritually different places. She was Jewish, was not a believer in Jesus, but loved coming to our church. He was a real strong Christian. He loved the Bible study. Our two-service design worked perfect for them. And he came up to me and said, listen, we've been praying since that little Bible study we had, and we feel like we want to give like a five-figure gift over four years. I said, well, that's awesome. I'm just really glad God's prompting you. He said, but then I was talking to my wife. I'm like, huh? well, you got to go with the wife. And he says, she thinks we should double it. Well, listen to your wife. You know, I was saying that before. You know, listen to your wife. 
And he said, you know, despite she's not a Christian, she's been so impacted, and our family's been so impacted, she's seen what's been happening in me since being here, that we've decided to give a six-figure gift. It was just so humbling, with no arm twisting or whatever, it was just people thinking about what God was doing in our midst and how they could be part of it. So I want to give you two reasons uh, to give God the old heave-ho offering that we see in this passage. Really fascinating. It starts in verse 21 here. It says, Now behold, I have given the children of Israel all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance. Now notice how many times the word inheritance shows up. It's inheritance I gave from the Egyptians. It's now going to be an inheritance for the Levites. We'll talk about that in a second. But you're to use this money from the heave offerings to do the work which they perform. This is the work in God's meeting place. The work of the tabernacle meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle meeting lest they bear sin and die. Remember, we've had like 10 chapters of them like doing the wrong thing. So we need somebody intermediate, a priest and Levite, to kind of help people reconnect and get realigned. And your job is to do that, and this money funds that. And you shall perform the work of the tabernacle meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity, and it shall be a statute forever. Here's the salt idea starting to come out. Throughout your generations. So this is to be a place and a performance or a way you're doing the work that would affect generations of people would come to know me. So it's a generational investment. That among the children of Israel, they have no inheritance. What does that mean? When they eventually get to the promised land, they divide the promised land up by the tribes. And every tribe gets a piece of land except the Levites. The Levites do not get a chunk of land. Their inheritance is a small portion of the money given from these heave offerings. That's all he's saying here, is that the Levites don't get any land. This is their inheritance. goes on. For the, the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I've given to the Levites as their inheritance. Therefore, I've said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance, no land. Then the Lord said to Moses, saying, speak thus to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes that I've given from you as your inheritance, I want you to give a piece of that as a heave offering, a tenth of the tithe. So it's this idea that as people gave a tenth, then they were to take a tenth of the tenth and they could give their own heave offering. Man, look how thankful they are for God. I'm like, this is now part of my inheritance, and now I'm going to use this and be thankful to God too. I'm going to be cheerful. I'm going to be heartfelt. So it's just this, this, this generational pattern of generous giving kind of built into the community is what God's doing here. Again, what's pretty amazing is to see how God has done this, not just way, way, way back then, but here in this place. So many of you were with us 13 years ago before we got into this building. And one of my favorite memories lines up perfectly with what happens here. Right? Because what are they doing? They're giving God the old heave-ho offering to do what? To provide for the people a place where generations can meet with God. In the book of Numbers, it was a tabernacle. By the time you get to Solomon and Kings, it becomes a permanent structure. Then in Jesus' day, Herod builds it. But there's these places that facilitate forgiveness. So jump back with me about 13 years ago, and this was a golf course. And we met together on what we called Church on the Green, and that big yellow balloon in the air would right now probably be at this level. Because we had to move 310,000 cubic yards of dirt, that's 210 truckloads a day for 90 days, to put enough dirt in here to make a floor that we could build on. 
But we put that balloon up, and that balloon would have been right about here, and we gather and we pray that God would make this grass and this place a place that would facilitate people coming to know God. And then we passed out little, uh, little butterflies made out of construction paper. We gave everybody a golf tee because it was a golf course. And we said, we want this place that we're eventually going to build as God calls us to, to be a place of life change. So we took our little golf tees and we pushed the butterflies in all over the place, all over this place that was a chapel and the children's ministry area and what would eventually be the baptism. We prayed over every location. We filled it with butterflies, some with names of friends and names of family members we'd invite. And then we dumped 310 cubic yards of dirt on top of it all. So you are sitting on top of prayers provided by heave offerings for people who dreamed of creating a place where generations could meet with God. And if that wasn't amazing enough, then we jumped back just three years ago where we began to see how people traveled so often and they loved the Bible teaching and they loved the worship. And so we said, I wonder if we need to move into kind of the the next century with video and we need to find, you know, high video equipment that allows us to allow people when they're traveling at different homes to kind of keep with us in, uh, in what we're doing. And sure enough, people gave their heave offerings in such a way that in the same way we built a metal structure years ago for this building, we built a digital structure with apps, with cameras, with control rooms. And was God not faithful that it all got put in one month before COVID hit? And it became the main way that we helped connect and grow and facilitate people's understanding of God. Just been amazing how faithful God has been. All through people being motivated willingly to give the heave offering to God. Well, the passage continues. It's going to be a little redundant now. It's going to say some of the same things over and over again, but it's going to actually have a different point. So we'll kind of read through it again, but now there's a different point of what happens in you when you give a heave offering. Look what happens. So the Lord says to Aaron, remember he's the priest, here I myself have also given you charge over the heave offerings. Remember, these are holy gifts of the children of Israel. Here's that phrase again. I have given them as a portion to your sons and your daughters as an ordinance forever. This shall be one of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Notice how how often he's going to use the word best here. All the best of the oil, the best of the new wine, the best of the grain, the first fruits, the first things out of the ground, you will offer to the Lord. I have given them to you. So see, there's this idea that when you give of the heave offering, it's really to make you reflect on, man, has God been faithful? It's designed to to deepen your faith and well up your heart with gratitude. That's what it's designed to do. And he goes on and says, look at this. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, they shall bring to the Lord and it shall be yours. He's talking about how the priests are going to use it. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Burn the fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. I just love smelling that. I love feeling and seeing and smelling the attitude that's going on at this time. And their flesh shall be yours, just as the, the, the wave breast, we're talking about a wave offering, where you'd wave the breast of the meat or the right thigh of yours. All these heave offerings are holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord. I have given to you, there it is again, and to your sons and daughters an ordinance forever, a salt offering, a permanent idea. It's a covenant of salt forever. There's the first time the phrase occurs in the Bible. 
the covenant of salt, this permanent idea of salting and preserving and finding a way to take temporal things and turn them into eternal things. And then he says, but the goal here is, I want people to know me. Look what he says. I am your portion. Not just what you get, it's about me. I am your inheritance. There's that word inheritance again. I want people to know that I am the source of everything they have and everything they need. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I don't have time to explain everything about the covenant of salt today, beyond the kind of overview I did. But part of that digital platform we created several years ago is we went through every single message over the last 20 years and put keywords and key verses and organized them. So part of our digital facility is our app. So if you get on our app today and you go down to past messages and type in keyword, just type in the word salt. It will jump you back several years to a series we did called Holy Smokes, We're Studying Leviticus. That was the name of the series. And on March 7th of 2017, I did a message called Entering God's Presence with a Grain of Salt, where I explained why they salted all of their offerings, their fine flower offerings. It really pointed to this eternal idea of God's promises. So if that's of interest to you, you can get a whole hour on the salt offering just by looking up salt on our app. Another thing you can use our app for, by the way, is helpful in a lot of ways, which you might, maybe your heave offering isn't about what God's facilitating at, at church, but it's what God's facilitating in the world. Maybe you've heard about our, our yellow Ukraine bags, and you want to say, hey, I want to heave something up in our partnership with Matthew 25 Ministries to help those who've lost their homes, lost their jobs, and don't know where they're going to spend the night. Matthew 25 has a history of doing great work, and you can click on our app to contribute directly to them, partner with them, or help them ship supplies over. So either get supplies or ship supplies if God prompts you to do that. A couple of things our app can do in facilitating God's work is maybe Easter tickets. You want to get some Easter tickets? We have six services coming up. You want to grab some tickets for you or for a friend? We're also offering a special second year Good Friday service. We just filmed it a few weeks ago. Powerful way with stained glass and music and worship. It's only going to be online. You can download that, that first morning of Good Friday, and just walk yourself through the cross with Drew and I and the band taking communion together on Good Friday. And then, of course, grab some tickets, they're complimentary, or invite a friend as maybe you're trying to help them discover God's forgiveness and God's plan in their life. One more thing, sometimes what we do is we facilitate God's work not through a church service, but sometimes we do it through a workshop. We had a big event last uh, yesterday morning, uh, Ken Kington had full house there in the atrium, another place we prayed for, where people learned about leadership together. I'm going to do something similar. Um, this one's just for men, though, and it's going to be called God's Home Info. God's Home Info, we're going to look at some tools for being better husbands, being better people. We're going to look at some tools to help you understand yourself, how to lead your family. We're going to have some drills. We're going to have some hammer drills. We're going to pound some nails, all in the context of teaching. So there are going to be different teaching mechanisms we use. We're going to punch some holes through drywall. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on. And it's going to be Sunday nights and Monday mornings. And those are identical. So you can come to Sunday night or you can come to Monday. If you're a morning person, come on Monday. I'm not a morning person, so thank you, Doug Daly, for 6.09 start time. But... Um, He's what started this thing years ago. So it's going to be a study together where we help learn how to just understand ourselves and what are the tools God has to improve or build on what's going on in our life. So that starts uh, coming up here Sundays and Mondays, four weeks. 
on April 24th, and I'll be teaching that together for God's Home Info. All right, so those are a few ways we're facilitating God's work. So he begins to, to kind of play off that a little bit. I've given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance. There's that word again. In return for, what do you use the inheritance for? In the return for the work which performs in the tabernacle. Hereafter, the children of God shall not come near the tabernacle meeting lest they bear and die. Same thing he said before. But the Levites will perform the work of the tabernacle and bear the iniquity. They will help wayward people come back and get realigned with God. And it will be, salt covenant, a statue forever throughout all your generations that know the children of Israel have no inheritance. So same idea, Levites don't have any inheritance land. They're going to use this as part of their inheritance. And he goes on. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as their inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they have no inheritance. So see, it's kind of redundant. But now he's going to apply it differently. So he just explained it again. Now he applies it. Look what he says. For your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor or the fullness of the winepress. Like imagine that first sip or that first taste of your garden. Because I want you, when these heave offerings are given, I want you to treat those and experience those like the best of the best, the first taste of the season that I've been growing in your life. That's, I want you to, that's the attitude I want you to have toward this. Thus you shall receive and offer a heave offering to the Lord from all your tithes which you have received from the children of Israel that you may give the Lord's heave offering from it to Aaron the priest. And here comes that word best back again. Of all the gifts that you shall offer up as a heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them, therefore you shall say to them, when you have lifted up the best of them, then the rest shall be accounted to the Levites. So give God the best of the best. Whatever piece is left over would be used to fund and be utilized by the Levites and priests to do the work. But I love this phrase. Give the best and then take the rest. I think there's a principle here of how God works in our hearts. When people move from not giving to giving, kind of tipping God, to then they start giving a percentage of their income. And maybe you've never done this. This is really powerful. I've just seen it over and over in people's life. Whether you're giving half a percent or 1% or 5%. When you move to percentage giving, every time you give, it's a percentage of X. It makes you think about X. Man, God has been so good. He's been so faithful. And when I give God a percentage of the best, it reminds me I'm trusting him with the rest. If God has been so faithful in the past, by giving the best or the first fruits of that, I'm trusting him for the rest of the harvest, for the rest of the season. Which is why this is really about growing your heart and your confidence in God. That's the idea here. Now he goes on. Now you may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is the reward for your work in the tabernacle meeting. And you shall bear no sin because of it. You have lifted up the best of it. You shall not profane the holy things of children of Israel lest you die. Let's take this really seriously, he's saying. So, what was his point? What's our second reason to give God the old heave offering? Because by lifting up your best to God, you're trusting him with the rest. I was listening to the story, actually an interview of somebody you probably have heard of, the colonel. 
What I didn't know is that the colonel was a Christian. Let's go back in time. He was describing in 19, 19, not 19, um, he was 65 years old, and he lived in Corbin, Kentucky. Now, there's only three things I know about Corbin, Kentucky that are important. First one is that best family's from there. So I wouldn't have a wife that hadn't been from Corbin, Kentucky. That's the most important thing about Corbin. Second thing is that that's where Colonel Sanders is from. And the third thing is, I guess they have a couple waterfalls. I've never seen them, but those are the three things I know about Corbin. But there's not a lot of exits off the interstate, but Colonel Sanders' whole business was built on the exit coming to get his customers. And they re-diverted the exits years and years ago, and his whole business, his whole restaurant, literally lost its customer base almost overnight. And at age 65, everything was falling apart. Then he decided to invent a recipe. Some, like best grandma, might say he borrowed pieces of the recipe. I don't know. It's the, the folklore of Corbin. But he puts together this recipe, brand new recipe for a new restaurant called, not Southern Fried Chicken, there were lots of those. Let's call it Kentucky Fried Chicken. And all of a sudden, this restaurant goes gangbusters, and it begins to grow. All of the United States gets bigger and bigger. So he goes from literally being in anguish at age 65 to just being rolling in success at 66. And in doing so, the next 10 years just become the most prosperous years of his life. But he's got this conscience that doesn't feel clean before God. And he's got some habits that after 77 years he can't break. So he goes to see his pastor. He didn't really attend church really often, but he attended and he says, I, I did, I'm facing my own mortality, I'm 77. I need to know what really happens and what really matters and how to break some of these habits and how to find forgiveness and to get a clean conscience. And this pastor taught him about Jesus, taught about Jesus' forgiveness and how the Holy Spirit can come and live in you as a temple. Where there used to be a temple, the Holy Spirit means you become the temple, not a building anymore. And Colonel Sanders at 77, I saw him interviewed this week. I watched, not, I, he wasn't alive, but I saw his old interview. And he described just the incredible joy of a clean conscience. He'd had success, he'd had failure, but now he had eternity. Well, that motivates him that at the end of his life, he takes all the branches that were in Canada, and he takes all those branches, and he basically re-diverts those resources to give to charities, to give to those in need, to help out missionaries, and to re-divert those finances in such a way to be about eternal things. All because it's almost like it was his heave offering. How can I use what God's given me to bless other people? Now, I think this whole idea gets picked up in the New Testament in a pretty famous verse in Corinthians. That it's not just about giving God your best heave offering. It's about living like you are the best heave offering. Right? There used to be a tabernacle that, the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit lived in. There used to be a temple that God's Spirit rested in. But in the New Testament, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? You are the heave offering. You are the best because God is in you. And so in Corinthians, it picks up on this idea. And just look at the heave offering ideas embedded in here. But I say to you, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes, willing, in his heart, heave offering, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful gift. No, God loves a cheerful giver. 
It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. You know what's sweet-smelling to God? What's sweet-smelling to God is he knows what's going on in your heart. He knows that you have connected with him. You have found him to be your portion. You have realized that he's the source of your inheritance, that he's the one that's faithful. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to be the best heap offering. How you live, how you serve, how you speak, how you forgive, how you apologize. You're living out the kingdom before others. Are you living like a heave offering to God? Your heart is just overflowed with forgiveness and joy and gratitude. Are you living reflecting on what he's done for you, the inheritance he's had for you? And that just wells you up. How can I be part of what God is doing? It has been amazing. Even in the last couple months, I'm meeting folks who are coming in our doors and they say, my third week, my second month, been coming for six months, been watching online for two months or four months. God's faithfulness to our church has been amazing. And much of that, all of that, is because of God's work in your heart. It's your heave offerings that have created this place and your incredible generosity that has allowed us to create places to facilitate God's work. And let me just give you a picture of some of the amazing things God has been doing just the last couple of years. In the middle of COVID, in the middle of these challenges, because of your faithful giving, I just want to say thanks. One of the most amazing things is that we start a, a digital campus. And that design of that campus was to help you stay connected to us. So whether you're sitting here or sitting somewhere else, our church community is anywhere and everywhere now. And we know many of you travel, and you can only make it to services once or twice a month. But now, because of our digital campus, you're able to follow along with us wherever you are, wherever your business travels take you. And when you have a service you really like, you're able to quickly forward it to a friend. Many of the folks on the map, if you're watching right now online, you say, hey, that's me, I'm that dot, I'm that dot, right now, watching. You're part of our family. It's just broadened our ability to facilitate people's connection to the Word. Now, here's one of the amazing things that's happened, is our Horizon team is about 86% volunteers on a weekend, 14% of us are offering compensated, kind of the, the, the way that uh, Moses described it. But man, things are exploding around here in the amount of people who are back, the children who are coming. So thank you for your incredible generosity and thank you for the ways you're serving. We need more and more people to serve in different areas just because there's so much growth and so much demand for people understanding who God is. But thank you for the ways that you've been being part of what God is doing. Here's what's amazing. Before COVID to now, when you look at our digital campus as well as our current campus and how our church family is being impacted by all these different facilities, we are up 66% as a church over the last couple of years. Like, wow, we only have three servers, used to have four. Well, here's why, and this is pretty amazing. We now have, and we, tr we track all this, and we, we take out all the Russian nanobots that we don't count, but we, we track you know, um, where people are watching, how people are watching, how people are connected. We have over 1,900 interactions per week between Roku and Apple TV and online services and app services and people connecting with the different offerings that we have. All again because of your faithfulness of responding to what God's prompted you to do. In fact, right now we're sitting in the equipping service and only one third of us are here in person. Two thirds are right now watching from our services online. They're, they're worshiping with us, connected with us at home through the word. 
For every one person in the room, there are two people watching online. A third of those are, on, are here in the room. A third of those are watching right now live, and then a third of them will watch the service in the, <clears throat> in the next seven days, what we call on demand. We did the research for the exploring service, and it's the exact same thing. One third of the people are in the room, and there's two people watching online for every one third who are in the room. And we are just overwhelmed with gratitude that a dream we had to comfortably connect people to God through a community of growing Christ followers, that God has just found new and new ways to find different types of tools to take his word and his forgiveness and his son Jesus and make him known. So I just want to say thank you. And I thought it would be appropriate for us to thank God for just how faithful he's been to us. I know many of you in your own households and your own businesses, you're you're being affected by inflation, all the challenges of that, you're making plans for the next three months and six months and nine months and years. We're doing the same thing. But your generosity and God's prompting of you has put us in a great place to not only survive, but to thrive and to find out new ways that we can impact people, grow people, and connect them to his word. Let's pray together and just thank him. Father, you have been so, so faithful to us, individually and as a church. You've been our hope when we were discouraged. You've been our courage when we were afraid. You've been our source. You've given us the ability to produce wealth. You found opportunities where it felt like just Red Sea in front of us. So, Father, we offer ourselves to you right now as a heave offering. Prompt us. How can we serve? How can we give? How can we say thanks for everything you've done for us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for being here today. Join us next week as we continue our journey into numbers.